0: When I was a teenager, you know, you have the most sacred place where God first spoke to you, started a certain type of ministry in your life, and, and not only was I sitting in the bathroom, but this lesson came to me so fast. If you can imagine, the hallowed notes were written on the back of a pantyhose cardboard. That's all I could find in there. The <laughs> yeah. first time he ever gave me a lesson, it was seven hindrances to healing. It just came up as fast as I could write that thing. And what was funny about that, I was a teenager. I'd never spoken before. This was the first time. It just started a, a speaking route in Brownwood. I mean, they had me at the Episcopalian Church, and they had me over at Heartland. They just started having me all different kinds of places. So I think it's funny. So we're going to go back to the oldest thing that God ever gave me. And usually I don't like to repeat, but I've reworked some areas in it. But I noticed that I had some strong points in there, but tonight let's strengthen it. And we're going to notice from my chart here, I view healing as being God up here in heaven, us down here, and there's a pipeline. And sometimes there's clogs that get stuck. I want you to know that to be thankful tonight, we're only going to do seven hindrances to healing. <laughs> so, anyway, you can get this chart later, and I put scriptures by other ones. I would love it for some of you to study out this chart for me and add some more hindrances that we haven't thought of that you see in the Bible. But there's various things that can stop or clog healing in your life. Now healing's an interesting thing. What I get tickled about in the body of Christ, for the most part, I just see a big lack of curiosity about healing. You know, people pray, nothing happens, so they blame it on God. They rewrite their theology and say, God doesn't heal, and the next thing you know, they teach it in Sunday school to your kids. That's the progression that healing usually takes. And so you're going to have to establish God's will to heal in your life. I did one whole lesson that was just pages of notes because I was absolutely determined to prove that that was not true. I thought it would be much easier to not believe that. Have you ever gone to the Bible and had an objective? My objective was to prove against it. Well, in that establishment, I found about five particular reasons that... I cannot deny. I mean, I just picked five out of a, a long list. But there's several things that Jesus' position on healing was that he healed them all. You cannot find a precedent where he turned someone away for healing. Even when they were asking, do you will to be healed? If you want a verse for that, look at Acts 10, verse 38. Also, when you look at the significance of the cross in the original prophecies in Isaiah, you'll see that Isaiah 53, that healing is very definitely tied into the atonement. In fact, I think there's a little more weight on the strength that he bore our sicknesses and cured our diseases. And so people go, oh, well, that's spiritual healing. We always get spiritual so we can get rid of stuff in the Bible. But if you read in Matthew 8, 17, it very clearly says, And Jesus went to the village and he healed everyone. And he said, I did this in order to prove to you that this is a physical healing. Wrote a beautiful commentary. Not often do you have Jesus take a verse and explain it to you and tell you, hey, they're going to try twisting this later. But clearly in Matthew 8:17 it tells you that the word is healing. When you look it up in the Hebrew, it leaves no doubt the words are rich in their meaning. You know what I found out about God? He doesn't just save us. He saves us through and through, and it's thorough, and it goes to all of our layers. I mean, He heals our... our well, He doesn't heal our spirit, man. We don't get a patch on our heart. He takes it out and puts a new one in. We become a new creature. So there's no such thing as spiritual healing technically because in reality, you're not healed. You are totally a new person. Old things pass away. So I I don't even know that I can really go with the idea there's such a thing as a spiritual healing. There's a spiritual rebirth that totally makes you a new person. But then he goes and he ushers the healing through your soulless realm. And he heals your broken heart. He heals the pains of your mind, the diseases of your body. And he takes what the devil has torn up and what we lost through the fall. And he totally rewrites our life. If you look up the meaning of the word salvation in the Hebrew and in the Greek, you'll see that they mean deliverance, victory, prosperity, health, save, saving. And I think that's why the Jewish population, when they... Uh, become Christians, they never have a problem with this subject because in their Bible they can distinctly see that the same word for saved is the same word for healed is the same word for deliver so it 's only because we 're translating a different English word. I think that we get confused the word in the Greek is the Sozo word, so it gives new meaning to first Timothy two four when it says that God desires that all men be sozoed I mean that 's quite a statement there when you realize that salvation. Very, I mean, y'all, honestly, there is no definition to the word salvation meaning a ticket to heaven or fire insurance or an escape from hell. Sozo is something that happens where you are saved. The kingdom of heaven starts right here on earth. And Jesus was constantly saying, what's easier for me to do? Forgive sins? Heal. Okay, I'll heal to prove I can do both. And I think it's only man that makes the issue difficult. If I had one word, which I know you'd find this shocking, and you told me you've got to prove healing to me in one word, I would say one word to you and I'd say, Father. To me, that summarizes my entire belief on healing. You've got to put it in the context of Father. That's the entire meaning and understanding. Then Acts 10, verse 34 says that God is not a God of partiality. He does not pick and choose. That, that is a random belief that God, there are certain things that clog pipelines that cause healing to come. Sometimes we don't figure out what they are. But it's not God's part. It's not him holding it up. If we walked in here and we flipped on these lights and I looked at that light bulb right there and I said, y'all, you know what, T, you went out of business. is why that light didn't come on. You look at me and go, there's something a little wrong with her, wouldn't you? I'm a little deaf. I, I look up at that light and I go, T, you went out of business. Y'all, I can prove to you the light didn't come on. They did not get healed. And that's the same thing we do with the power of God. He must not be in the business of healing because there's something wrong with the circuitry. Any of you guys know that you check the wiring and you get the flow to come down. And that's the same thing we do with healing. Now, healing to me is one of the most fascinating subjects of all in the Bible because you can't cheat on it. I mean, you know we can say, oh, I prayed with you and you're saved. Well, you know, we all have our different beliefs on what constitutes salvation. I think we pretty much are in agreement that Romans 10, 9 and 10 you confess with your mouth and you believe that he's Lord and it, it comes out, it, it constitutes salvation, but can I prove it? No, I cannot prove it. I have not talked to anyone that came back from the grave. Right? That's what makes the word sozo about healing so fascinating. They're either healed are they not. <laughs> There's no way to cheat on it. I mean, you can sit there, and you lay hands, and you lay hands, and there nothing's happening. You know, oops, this isn't working. You can't just give a real spiritual answer. Yeah, so that's what makes healing fun, and I think that's what is one of the most interesting parts of your walk with God, because you can pretty well see the results in a hurry. I mean, it's something that when you mess with healing, or when you go into the depths of healing, I think it's a better way to say it, and when you start exploring what God has done in the era of healing, you can immediately tell how it's going. Now, does it take a super mature person? Uh, a lot of times I see little kids that have more childlike faith. It's an amazing thing. Healing is a subject you can't cheat on. So I think tonight we're going to have a lot of fun, because we're going to challenge this area in our life. And I want you to put it to the test by faith, not by doubt. And see what God can do in your life. So number one hindrance to healing, I would say, comes out of the book of Hosea 4.6. And it is, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know, lack of knowledge, can we just say there is a lot of lack of knowledge in the body of Christ about healing? How many sermons have you heard in your church lately on healing? (laughs) Well, not positive. I don't mean that God quit a long time ago. He gave that one up. A lack of knowledge on the subject of healing. You know, I think the key word in this phrase or in this part of the Bible is that my people are destroyed. Y'all, that's a horrible word, destroyed. I mean, we're not talking about out in the world. We are talking about Christians are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Destroyed is a strong word. And if you keep reading, a lot of times people stop at the word of destroyed for lack of knowledge. In the very next verse is, and they're destroyed for rejection of the knowledge. And I mean, that's two groups of people. Some it's lack of knowledge, and some's rejection of the knowledge. But we're not among those folks. You wouldn't be here tonight if you weren't interested in the subject, or you would have gotten up and left out, or you're just curious what's going to happen next. But I think the, the way that we're going to apply lack of knowledge Is in an area that I've never heard anyone do before. But to me, it's the most consistent thing I see in the body of Christ. We fail to ask God, how? Mm -hmm. You know, the one thing I see that healing really gets us in trouble, it becomes something mechanical in our life. And when it becomes mechanical, we lose the ability. God will not let you let parts of your life become mechanical. Have you ever noticed he kind of stirs that up? It's kind of hysterical that in Mark 9, 17, he gives the disciples authority to cast out the spirit, and they couldn't do it. I think that's hysterical that, you know, I think it's about 10 verses above it. He gives them authority over it. And it's a very frustrating problem when we've been given the authority and something doesn't work. You know, the guy could have walked away. The father could have walked away and said, come home, you crazy son. And he could have said, look at this. He said, God must not have wanted it done. I prayed, and it didn't work. And that's basically where we all come from now that we immediately reach for God and we say, hey, it's God's fault. That's why it didn't work. Let's rewrite our theology and let's go home. That Jesus, in his sweet little manner, he just goes, guys, I appreciate you trying. You know... I'm encouraging you. we got two more years to get together. What, you remember what he did? He goes, you perverse and wicked generation. How much am I going to put up with you? I'm fixing to check out. I mean, the, you guys are, I mean, healing will be dead before I get out of here. <laughs> I think it's interesting what he does. And the guy goes, if you can. And he turns to the guy and he goes, if you can. And then they ask him privately, they say, quit embarrassing us. Not really, but I mean, that's you, you're kind of tired of that lecture. It's not really very pleasing to the flesh and they go what went wrong and Jesus again did not let them off the hook he blamed it on them he said this type comes out by prayer and fasting so I think it's interesting how on earth have we gotten you know, I think C.S. Lewis is a genius on this and you know in England they call it doc the jury and he said you know years ago man was in the dock with God man was on trial but in our modern theology we've switched and we put God on trial oh. And it's interesting how the pagan men that were superstitious always had men on trial with the gods being angry and doing all this. And no, not modern men. We put God himself on trial. And we do it clear into the theology of the church. But not so with Jesus here. He immediately addresses the problem and challenges the guys. There is a way to get this done. And you can have it happen. You know, Smith Wigglesworth's biography says that he often prayed through the night before he prayed for someone. I really believe he was getting the how down in him, you know, that he was getting his spirit prepared to receive what God was going to do, you know, getting fresh revelation through prayer. One man said, Jesus went from prayer place to prayer place and did miracles in between. <laughs> One of the first things I ever saw demonstrated on this how question came with Josh's niece, and they brought me uh, this little niece when she was two years of age, and we prayed over the niece. And the niece had a white infection coming out of her nose, just pouring out. So anyway, I think it's funny now having Josh in Bible study. And so we consistently prayed for the infection. The kid was not getting any better, and it's getting dangerous with a two-year-old. We thought it was a cold. We were silence. We were big, you know, we did all this stuff, and nothing worked. So finally, this is where the Lord showed me the how part. I finally got down on my knees, quit praying over the kid, and said, God, how do you get this kid healed? Come on, let's talk. And I said, I put it into your hands. That day, the mother-in-law was keeping the child, and she dug up in the kid's nose, and it had rolled up a ball of masking tape, and that was infection. That was not a sinus infection. And I thought, isn't it interesting, when we turned it over to God and said, how? He showed us we were on the wrong page. (laughs) You know, you can lay hands on them until they die, until you really get the mind of Christ on it, of what's going on with his amazing x-ray vision. The Lord solved that problem immediately and that child was fine. I think it's interesting. Another situation happened and y'all have heard this tragic story and if any of you laugh, I'll, I'll take your name off our Christmas card list and forget your birthday, but I was growing up and I had a pet deer. And this, I had this wonderful deer and he said He had a deer too. Anyway, um, <laughs> it, it had been cut up really badly in a fence. My dad hadn't thought it would live. After about two and a half weeks, they were impressed with how well it was doing. We were Full-grown deer, we were feeding it milk bottles, and I had it on a sling in the hen house so it wouldn't lay and get infection in the sores. And so every day I'd pray over my deer, and I'd leave and I'd go to school. Well, we'd got this deer where it was almost ready to release. I mean, it was in good shape. It could put its full weight and everything. So I had had a ring-around around around my finger, and it was red. And when I put that my citration on it, it totally made the ring-around go away. And so I thought, hmm, I'll just... You know, put a little bit on its legs. So I put it on its legs, laid hands on my deer, blessed my deer before I went to school. Got home, my deer was dead in the sling. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, I sat there and thought thoughts about healing and God and, you know, everything. Because I'd done a good prayer before I left. You know, this is the object of this story. Better the deer than your mother, your brother. You know, there's different things that you need to practice on lower species. It was, a, it was a, few, a few years later that I was at the veterinarian's, and I was talking to him. I said, well, I'll put some mycitrason on our dog, and he goes, don't do it. He goes, is a human medication. When they lick it, it gets in their bloodstream, and it kills them. You know what I realized? I killed my deer. You know, when you don't get the how-to from God, it can be disastrous. You know, and, and that's kind of a funny story. But the the deer was in good shape until I helped him out a little. And so you see in life that sometimes in the best intentions, that not having the Spirit of the Lord on it or the mind of Christ, that it, it can end up in a disastrous way. You know, Jesus, if you look at him, man, he was creative. He had a lot of variation in the way he healed. I just admire some of the ways he thought of, of yeah, of healing the sick. I, I think if we copied him a little more, we might have... More results. But if you get routine or mechanical, you will not have the results that you get from a living relationship with Jesus Christ. When I ask God how, it's usually at the point of frustration, but one time He said, take communion and realize that, that when that goes into you, if you can take it unworthily, then He says, then you can take it, not worthily, but based upon Him. If taking it unworthily can make you sick, then taking it by faith can make you well. It has power in it. And so as sometimes as we've taken the Lord's Supper. One time, you know, y'all, you know, I have Baptist feet. I mean, I have good Baptist feet. I never went clubbing like the rest of you guys did. And so the rhythm section was not really good on me. And I, I remember the Lord told me, I, I was having back pain for like oh, a year and a half, so bad that I, I got to where I couldn't stand it. And I remember standing in the kitchen of our apartment. He goes, you dance, I'll heal you. It was like I thought he had asked me to do something sacrilegious. And I started worshiping the God and dancing, and it totally left my body. I could not believe it. Another time I was at a healing crusade, and everybody was up getting prayed for, and the Lord says, if you will go outside, I'll heal you. The person caught me at the door and said, don't do it. I waited till they left, and I went outside. Y'all, it was to the point that my gallbladder was out of control. It was in unbelievable shape. And I couldn't eat anything. I mean, some of y'all had the experience of beating me, trying to get the gallbladder to, to whatever. It, it had totally jammed. And it had gotten to where I, once a month it was happening. It was once a week. And then that day, it, it had been like every single meal for like that whole week. And so anyway, I went outside, and the Lord totally, I just started thanking Him. And outside, He totally healed me. And y'all, I've seen the most success in life on asking God how to do it. Number two. Yeah, yeah, there's all kinds of way. One time he said something as simple as a set of exercises totally. I mean, God is just, he's, he's amazing. He makes you, he figures you out. Okay, number two hindrance is failing at your first response. Matthew sixteen nineteen. Matthew eighteen eighteen is allowing and permitting. Your first response, I think of Hezekiah, the minute he found out that he was had a sickness and a death, his first response was he did not accept it. Y'all, you've got to... You've got to have an initial reaction. I think in the book of Proverbs, it talks of a city that is captured and occupied by the enemy. Once you have a full-blown case of something where the enemy is totally destroying the body, it's a lot harder to free that city. And so your initial reaction is so important that you immediately start quoting the word. A minister got in a report that he was going blind. And he started preparing his initial response was that he would count his steps to the pulpit so that no one would know he was blind. And then he'd count his steps to the office. And I thought, you know what? He failed his initial response because he should have said, No, by the stripes of Jesus I'm healed. I'll not fear evil tidings. No weapon farmed against me will prosper. I'll resist the devil and he'll flee. And he failed at that initial response. Y'all, sometimes it's not a doctor's report, but it's like a subtle thought. You know, kind of like I haven't had a car wreck in a long time. <laughs> Or I just have an eerie feeling about today. If I could ask you to do anything, just immediately say, no, I resist that in the name of Jesus. And take authority over those type of things. You know, someone sneezes on you. Oh, gosh, I bet it's contagious. Where you just start immediately taking authority and pushing that back. Now, I wrote a Bible study on this twice. Two days ago, I looked at a person. And when I focus on someone, I've got to remember these are not subtle thoughts going through my head. And I thought, man, I hope their cancer does not reoccur. And it just went through my head and it was gone. You've got to immediately, for the sake of them, stand in the gap and say, I resist that. I mean, sometimes you can feel the attack coming on a person. And those things go through your head so quick, you're not even realizing, if you'll train yourself, that when it goes against the word of God, immediately apply a scripture, that's how Jesus fought the devil, and put God's word into effect and push it off. Do spiritual warfare to hold off those subtle impressions rather than receiving it. I remember we tell the story about when I got a scorpion bit, and I had always wanted to be bit by a scorpion. My mother would tell me these horror stories of that feels like liquid lightning going up your veins and all that. And I always wonder if Luke 10, 19 worked. Looked through my clothes to make sure it was a scorpion because I knew I always, I'm an analytical thinker and I doubt everything. If it works, I'm like, I really want a scorpion. That was an ant. You know, you, you downplay this. And so the minute, boy, that thing, it bit me right here. I not swelled up like this. And I was like, I was waiting on his report. And sure enough, he screamed from down the TV room. He goes, it's a scorpion! I was like, hallelujah! So I started in on that verse. I can tread on scorpions and snakes and then tread over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure me. And sure enough, just like my mom said, it was right over my heart. Oh, liquid lightning. It started pulsating through you. You're like, oh, it's a shot. It's a charge. <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of fun. And so you just start quoting that verse to it within five minutes. That knot had no sensation to it, it was totally a dead thing. And I thought it's amazing how initial response are so important. And there's different ways in life where you just don't let the enemy come in and capture the whole city. Number three. A spiritual root can sometimes be a factor. Mark 6, 5 through 6. Do we agree? Is this this a belief that we all hold that Jesus was all power? I mean, no limitations. Don't, Don't we all agree that he was a man, but he was fully God, right? The Godhead dwelled inside of him. We're in all agreement, aren't we? But Mark 6, 5, and 6 is a shock to our system to realize that Jesus is totally all power, but he could do no miracle. I mean, that's a shock that he's all power and he willed to do a miracle, but he could not do it because, what? The receptor pushed it back out. He couldn't do anything in his own hometown because of their unbelief. And they would not honor the prophet in that place. You know, Mark 7, 7-13, through Jesus talks about the traditions of man. Invalidate the word of God. And make it an invalid. Take the word and, and, and look at it. Look at the, the traditions of man. You know, if I look at that, I think of generations of tradition that have passed down. And I know the Bible is not only the part of it that went through the dark ages, but healing has gone through the dark ages in the church. And it has been generation upon generation of unbelief in this subject. And just now the church in these last days is waking up and seeing the covenant promises that God has given us. And I don't care if you don't like the way they do it on TV. You know, y'all, say it. this is the saying that we say in here. If the whole world does it wrong, you do it right. Get your Bible out and copy Jesus Christ as closely as you can. He's your total example in life. So unbelief and tradition, a man can hold it back. I never hear anybody say, I didn't get healed because I doubted. I didn't get my prayer. I mean, I never hear that said. This is the one that I always skirted around was personal sin. Because I'm so, you know, like last week, God does not, he does not give you stones for bread. But somehow we can sit on our comfortable pew in church and we hear God doesn't do it to us. And so we're like, I'll keep sinning. God's not going to strike me down. That's great. But y'all, I'm going to tell you something. Unrepentant sin, unconfessed sin, where you just keep going into it with no kind of whatever, opens huge doors in the spiritual realm. On our morning show, the other morning, I heard her say, you know, God does not give you more than you can bear. But she said, I guarantee you the devil does. That's an interesting aspect of what comes into our life when we just go into this area and we have no fear of the Lord. It's kind of a scary thing We're just year after year after year and you're sitting there thinking at some point, when are you just going to say, I'm stopping this. I'm going to quit lying. I'm going to quit playing games. I'm going to quit having hypocrisy in this area. And I'm going to come forth. Y'all, unrepentant, unconfessed sin is a dangerous area. And I've seen people wiped out I would be lying to you to tell you that it can open huge doors in your life. And God has nothing to do with it. His mercy is forever towards you. You know, and I'm going to say, maybe it took me him to hear a man where I was afraid of this issue. I skirted this issue. I downplayed this issue. And I finally heard a man that had faith in this issue. And he started you out on when it was time to get prayed for for healing, to repent and confess your sins. That's where he started with you. We do it before we pray for you for deliverance. Make sure no occult, you know, unforgiveness. Why not start there and let's cleanse the house? Yeah. You know, and I thought that was an interesting way where he forced me to put faith. He had such faith in that area. I was like, I like it. And so let me tell you, folks, when the Lord says, if you love me, you'll obey me, if that is not enough, your love for God to keep you out of sin, then let the fear of God be enough where you say, I am crazy. To openly and belligerently and publicly mock the name of the Lord. Either love or fear. They're interesting motivators. Is this scriptural? John 5, 14. Jesus looked this guy up and came up to him later. He said, go and sin no more so something worse does not befall you. The guy had been sick for 38 years. (laughs) Make sure nothing worse befalls you. (laughs) Whoa. All right, what was the sin? Was it unforgiveness, bitterness? You can think of different things that can open you up to, you know, We're we're even the medical world will tell you, you know, bitterness can open you up to, to stuff. I mean, I can get angry or I can get under stress. I had a problem because of a stupid mistake. Immediately, I just was sick in two seconds. I mean, you feel your neck slip out of place, your back hurts, you feel a headache coming on, and you're just sick. And it's amazing how extreme amounts of stress can get you sick. Got to be careful my words. Okay, extreme amounts of stress or anger, whatever. All right. Y'all, another area is playing with sickness for attention. We had a kid on campus. She would put casts on her arms and put crutches on, and we were looking every week to see what she'd do next. But, y'all, we laugh at that. But how many times do we hear constantly that they would get up And they would use tragedy happened in their life as comedy. The homecoming queen would get up and, I mean, by the time she was through, I mean, everybody was rolling laughing and it was, and you wanted to laugh. But I mean, it was like something bad, it was like she was, she was willing this stuff to happen in her life, one tragedy after another, after another, after another, playing with sickness for attention. And it, it made a funny story. Personal sin, generational sin, Exodus 34, 7. There's generational sins that it passed down through the lines. Through Jesus, it says that we don't have to pay for our father's sins. We'll go into that more later. I've seen a heredity disease, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, nervous breakdowns where they just pass through a whole family. Have you ever seen a family where there just seems to be a spirit of infirmity on them? And the whole family is just constantly plagued. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Some of them are not even... There was a disease, and I can't remember who was telling me this, but there was only like seven cases in the United States, and it doesn't pass down, and two in one family got it. And you just see a spirit of infirmity break the generational curses. Second Kings 5.26, Gehazi's personal sin set up a generational curse, and in verse 27 it says his leprosy went to his children. So it's interesting how that all happened. Another spiritual root sin is double-mindedness. Well, what's double-mindedness? Double-mindedness is where someone tells you, I want you to pray for me for this. So you're praying in faith, and the whole time you're praying, they're getting you to pray for them, and they start having mental fantasies. You're praying for them, and the whole time that, that you're praying for them, they're planning their own funeral. They're thinking, who will sing? What music am I going to have? Boy, the flowers will be pretty. I hope people really cry hard. how James says, let the man who has two minds on something... Not expect to receive anything from God. Unfortunately, two minds always takes you in the negative. The double-mindedness, it always negates the scriptural promises, and they always get the negative. I talked to my grandmother, and she has the fastest cure rate for breast cancer at MD Anderson up till the point that uh, she died at age 92. They said she would die when, when, she had, when my dad was nine. And I asked Mama, I said, uh, what do you attribute it to? And she said, I never lost the will to live. And y'all, double-mindedness a lot of times can be, man, sometimes you've got to get in there and, and start working with them on the will to live because they've totally let go of their will to live. That's a really difficult situation. And Jesus, a lot of times, that's, he would address that in them. Are you willing to be healed? He always made it to be their idea for the most part. When it's your idea for someone to get healed, it usually doesn't work. They've got to they've got to put some faith with it. They've got to be at least in the reception mode, unless God's just really showing off and they're not Christians and a gift of faith hits them and wham, and that can happen. Second Chronicles sixteen twelve. What about doctors? Do y'all not believe in doctors? You know Jesus was okay with doctors. Seemingly, he said in Mark two seventeen. The sick need a doctor. He said that's why sinners need me. 2 Chronicles 16, 12 says that he did not seek the Lord, but he sought the physicians. And so I'm going to make my statement of faith. I am pro-doctors and pro-medicine in a secondary role. God first. Seek him on how. Okay, we had a friend. She was a doctor's wife, and she had cancer, and we kept praying for her. I'll never forget this. When she died... They had her on bed, and we would prayed for it. everything. The pharmaceutical guy was talking to her husband, the doctor. Now, sometimes have you noticed that pharmaceutical guys know more about the mess than doctors do? He walked over to me, and he told me, um, she didn't die of cancer. The prayers did not fail. He goes, they killed her. And I go, what? And he took his knife out, and he ran it up her foot. And he says, if it was cancer, she would react to the pain. But they've medicated her to the point, he said, they stopped her heart and they killed her. And they were discussing whether they were going to fall. I mean, that was my first shock to realizing that in hospitals there's a lot of doctor hospital related deaths. Well, uh, there's, yeah. Well, first of all, it can be (coughs) as simple as the deer. They may be trying to do the best they can, or B, they may be having a bad day and You're just the car in the line that, assembly line that didn't get a good, you know. See, it can be a drastic mistake. So what I'm saying is doctors sometimes mess up. You know, that lady suffered much at the hands of many physicians and no better. You know, sometimes the test can almost kill you. But on the flip side of that thing with doctors, I'm going to say a good doctor is the mercy of God. (laughs) Because there would be a lot of dead non-Christians if they could only get healed by God, right? And then, y'all, let's be fair on something. There could be a lot of dead Christians <laughs> that do believe in healing if God had not given us doctors that work in accordance with the body and, and get the body to do what God created it to and repair the damage. So don't do mental gymnastics on this. Seek God first. There is nothing wrong if he sends you to a doctor. There's nothing wrong with that. I like doctors. And the second thing, though, if God's word contradicts doctor's word, then you always go with, god's word, then that makes it healthy we're in a good situation there on a spiritual route don't always assume that they need a healing in luke 13 11 it says her spirit of infirmity was caused by a spirit sometimes we're dealing with it as if it's a healing that's why they can cut it out and it'll move to a different part of the body that thing goes in there it builds a nest and so sometimes, y'all, you're praying for, as a sick person. Sometimes you're, you're rebuking that spirit. Look at how he handled this one in Luke 13, 11. I would not have thought that a lady bent double was a spirit of, a spirit whom Satan has bound. Now, that's a strange case. You know, cancer, epilepsy, maybe. But I would have never thought just someone bent double for, I think, 18 years. Okay, fourth one, hindrance, is a loose mouth. And an unestablished heart. Y'all, I wouldn't keep dwelling on this, but I still hear y'all confessing death a lot. It says, you know, in Proverbs, life and death is in the power of tongue. Oh, that just scares me to death. I just can't picture Jesus doing it. And if we want the results Jesus has, we've got to do it the way Jesus did. Guard your mouth. In 2 Kings 4.23, remember the lady she kept saying, all is well, all is well, all is well. And then they raised him. Notice there's not one time that Jesus raised the dead that he ever confessed death over them. Even with Lazarus, his disciples were like, well, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. He kept calling him to sleep. And he finally goes, okay, guys, everybody's saying he's died, but I'm going to go awakening. He would not speak death over something he planned on raising. And it got Jesus a lot of mockery because he would tell him she's only asleep and people would be laughing and he would have to throw them out. That when he spoke, he spoke life over it. A missionary from Guatemala said the mistake that most Americans make is they do not speak directly to the problem. He said most people in healing act like they're begging God or trying to twist his arm. And you can't twist God's arm. It's untwistable. That is good theology. Look at the difference. Dear God, I just beg you to please heal so-and-so. You never saw Jesus pray that way. God, I I pray that you'll heal so-and-so. Look at what Jesus did. He would go, ears be open, eyes see, little girl, I tell you, arise. And he would speak directly to the mountain. He didn't speak about the mountain. He spoke directly to the mountain. Storm be still, rise and walk. And so he said the guy who had the greatest faith was the one who said, hey, I boss servants, so you can boss sickness. And he goes, you want me to go to your house? Jesus offered him, you want me to go to your house? And he said, no. No. He said, I'll save you time. Just say it here and it'll work there. And Jesus goes, this is great faith. I wish everybody knew this. The principle of it is he got down to bossing it like a slave. You're not bossing God. Don't get that idea. God didn't put sickness on that person. You are not. God is not a slot machine and you're pulling. This is a living, vibrant relationship where Jesus Christ lives on the inside of you. And he's speaking through you directly to the situation. It's Jesus in you doing it. Don't get it mixed up. And you're speaking and you're, you're destroying the works of the devil just like Acts 10.38 says that Jesus healed all, doing good, destroying all the works of the devil. It I just amazes me. He lets us do what he did. That's amazing. So retrain your prayers to speak in authority and the powers in the name. Decree something, y'all. It's always going to be the minute it happens, it's going to say, it didn't work. <laughs> My favorite story is this Baptist minister and this illiterate plumber came to his house and, was he a plumber? Milk Green? He went to his house and he prayed for James Robinson to be delivered. James had been speaking on TV. They said he had more salvations than Billy Graham inside the United States. But he got bound by anger and lust and he said all these things came on him. He lost all the joy of the ministry. So, you know, Mel Grant, he decided he was just going to go and cast a devil out of this TV preacher. And so he went to his house, and he prayed for James Robson. And James Robson told us at NRB, and I, I was rolling laughing. And anyway, he, he told him, he said, he prayed on him, he rebuked those spirits off of him, and James Robson goes, I didn't feel anything. And you know, you could go, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, smart, mock. I'm glad none of y'all have ever done anything like that. <laughs> That man put his finger, James Robinson's face, and go, you will. James Robinson said the next morning, he said that was a prophetic word. He said it was like a claw came out of my mind. He said it came out, he said, all the addictions and the lust and the anger. He said, my wife was like, what has happened to you? She could feel the difference. Y'all, I'm going to tell you, your mouth, your heart, it decrees the word of God. I believe, therefore I spoke. We're so far short of what the Lord has provided. Fifth hindrance, lack of persistence. We're going to explore three areas where it takes persistence. Number one, use persistence when it doesn't work or where there's obstacles. There were too many people in the house, and you say, oh, I don't need to go to Bible study, I can't get in. What well, do these guys do? They ripped the roof off in Luke 5:17 And lowered the guy down. Can you imagine, he's already crippled, and they're dangling him down and dropping him on an already crowded room. It's an interesting idea. But I'm talking about there is persistence when it doesn't work. I had a bladder infection. And so I read that James five fourteen. it says, let the elders of the church anoint you with oil. And y'all, when they anointed me with oil, dramatic healing When it No. i tell you, the minute that man put his hands on me, it hurt worse than it ever hurt. I was like, Take, reverse what you just did. I mean, it, it was like, I felt like I was on fire. I mean, the minute he put his hands on me, I immediately got worse. I was like, where'd you get your anointing? <laughs> you know, this is amazing. I had a choice right then. I'd call my dad, and he goes, I'm not praying for you. He goes, you're in Fort Worth. You need to let them do it. Get your elders there. So anyway, I'm sitting there going, do not this make you mad? You know, sometimes God has to make you good and mad before you get healed. So leave me alone in the church building. It took me 45 minutes, and I would go. If you confess your sins, and you pray for the sick, and you let the elders of the church anoint them with all, then the Lord will. And I'd stop at will, and then I'd start my verse over. And then I'd go, will raise them. And then I would, and I just keep saying. Over 45 minutes later, all of a sudden, you don't get healed by the Sunday by Monday because it'll go from your bladder into your kidneys, and it it had gotten way out of control. And three weeks I'd been fooling around with it. (laughs) Anyway, you're raised on a farm, and so anyway, so three weeks later, I was way out of control. You call it faith, and sometimes it's just yeah. So anyway, 45 minutes later, the spirit of God hit me. And it's when that scripture went from my head into my heart. And y'all, sometimes that's what persistent has to kick in. And I could have walked out of that service and go, well, give me the next idea. But I stuck to what that verse said. I remember in the Philippines, y'all, this is the one time I saw it, and you're going to have to go get your own experiences. But they brought me a guy... I really, honestly, I went on the mission field to see if stuff worked because I had a lot of doubt in my life. I don't think I was doubting healing. I was doubting whether there was a God. So I was in worse shape than, you know, I'd accepted him at a young age. But, you know, you get in college, and they teach you not to believe anymore. So I went so far back into the jungle that they don't have TVs, and people have pure faith, and they bring me this blind man. And we had some great people on our team, and they told me, they said, everybody on your team has prayed for this guy to receive his sight. I prayed, I prayed, I prayed 12 times. I prayed every prayer I knew on healing. And I prayed and I prayed. And all I can remember happening to me at that point was anger hit me like I cannot explain. I thought, you know what, God? He believes. And, you know, out loud I said, I don't know if it was 1,200 or 2,500 miles. I said, I came over here 2,500 miles to what, God? Do nothing? I mean, this stuff doesn't work. I was like, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I don't know what it is that makes it from here to there. And I felt this first, and I looked up, and I was like, heaven, help me. And they told me, get on the bus, Angie. We've already broken up all the equipment. The, it was over. It was 11 o'clock at night. Manila, I could look over my shoulders. I could see a hospital on the other side. I'm like, this guy didn't even have enough money to go to the hospital. He believes, and I have no power in me. I was just angry. I knew it wasn't God. I was just angry that we faked this stuff and it doesn't work. And just something came over me. And when I did, I just, I, I took my hand and I slapped him in the chest. And I told him, in the name of Jesus, I say. And I just, they drug. And I just went on the bus. And I was mad. I just sat in the bus thinking, it just mocked me. My interpreter, Malou, came running on the buses as we were about to pull out and she was screaming she goes are you hearing him and they had given him the last microphone that was still hooked up and in Tagalog he was screaming I can see I can see I can see and y'all I'm telling you persistence I don't know what happened if I'd stopped on that last prayer 12 and just said man it doesn't work everybody on the team I don't know I don't know what it takes to initiate from that point a prayer persistent, using a prayer persistent when it partially works. Mark 8:22, partial healings. Y'all, Jesus was all-powerful. There was no limitations on his part. Don't you think this must have been interesting when he only got the guys seeing objects where they look like men as trees walking? Y'all, so many times we stop at partial healings. We get a little, man, if you've never seen, that's pretty good to see light and dark and see objects. Look at the humility of Christ when he says, can you see? And the guy goes to an extent. And Jesus says, okay, I'll do it again. And he gave him a second touch. If Jesus gave a second touch, y'all, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I kind of have the theory, just keep doing it till it works. I don't, I don't know what else to do. But Jesus was all powerful. This must have captured those disciples' imagination that took Jesus twice on this one. The guy got a shot of power, but only enough to, to jolt his eyes. You know, Luke 17, one kind of also on partially working. You know where it says that ten lepers, nine were healed? It says nine were cleansed. But it says one came back and he was thankful and he got whole. Totally different word. They used the word for healed. That was a different word, a cleansed word, and a whole word. Three different Greek words in that text. Y'all, did you know the condition of your heart can sometimes determine the depth of your healing? Thankfulness brings wholeness in a lot of ways. You know, treating the Lord like a close friend and not like a slot machine pulling his buttons. I think it's interesting that, that the other guys, it appears that the leprosy just cleansed. I've seen leprosy in the Philippines. But this guy was restored whole. I mean, they lose parts. So, I mean, that was an amazing thing that this guy got an extra dose. Use persistence when it tries to come back on you. You know, Jesus rebuked Satan in Matthew 5, 4, 10, but it says that Satan was going to come back for a more opportune time. I heard people say, well, if you get healed and you lose it, you must have not gotten healed. Well, that's not true. There's counterattacks. Mark nine twenty five, I think is what Jesus was addressing when he said, do not enter him again. Prayer of persistence, so that it was preparing the guy that, that the devil would attempt that, and he used preventative prayer. Hindrance number six is emotional attachments. One of the most difficult things is praying the prayer of faith over someone that you are emotionally attached to. I'm going to say the prayer of persistence was up here. I'm going to say the prayer of relinquishment is on this one. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, y'all remember God's burden is light. God's burden is light. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Healing should be fun. I had a friend, and he was striving so hard to get his dead healed. I mean, he was doing everything. He went into a frenzy for nine months. Y'all, I have never seen a healing ever take place in a panic situation. Ever. Never. Never in striving, working, 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 working. That is totally different than persistence. It's totally different, y'all you're going to have to balance these two two ideas out emotional attachments, screaming and in fear, a child Jesus did not hurry to get to Lazarus. The hardest people to get healed are those that you have the emotional attachment to if you get into that striving now this is not easy when the life of someone dear holds in the balance or what we want most is involved. There is a demanding spirit that usually goes along with fear, and obviously only drastic measures can deal with such a gigantic fear. Therefore, stop fleeing and force yourself to walk up to the fear, look it in the face. Fear demands, faith speaks. Totally different. Be prepared to pray the prayer of faith over someone you love. Start with your dog on this. It's a good place to start. I had a girl, and she almost passed out. She was using the name of Jesus, but I mean, she was in such fear over her dog. I mean, we lost her. It doesn't work in that context. Daniel 3, 17 through 18 is wonderful. He said, God will deliver us. He said, even if he doesn't, this is not a test that will make me walk away from God. If you'll establish that. That the devil, there's nothing you can do. This healing does not hinge on whether I believe in God or not or whether I believe his word or believe healing or psalm anyway. I am established on the word of God. God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, you know, I will burn rather than bow. And and there's a point you'll take of no compromise. One person said, if I never see it work, I'm still going to pray. The prayer of relinquishment is not the opposite of the prayer of faith. They are two sides of paradox truth. Brian, there are two sides of the railroad track. They go along together. It's the point where you let go of your worst fear. I remember my dad came up on a scene where that kid had fallen off the horse at our house, and she turned gray, and she, all that stuff started happening to her, and her head was totally cracked, and it was pouring out blood like here. And the Lord told my dad, take the long way there. It's going to look bad when you get there. And he did what Jesus did with Lazarus. He just took his time, and he prepared a spirit man. And when he walked up there, everybody else was hysterical. But he just spoke, and he commanded death to get off of her. And I saw a kid go from being gray and talking nonsense, blood pouring out the ear. Her eyes, you know, had rolled back to totally becoming calm. And by the time they put her in the car, she was stabilized. When they got her to the hospital, they said, well, she's, she's cracked her skull. The way that, And they got there, and they cleaned out the blood in the ear, and there was no, nothing in the ear, not anything on the skull, and she had hit full force on a post. I'm going to tell you, it's a strange phenomenon in the spirit realm called the prayer of relinquishment, and I have seen it work many times. I have also seen people die when relinquishment was used wrongly. So I'm going to let you figure out the difference. (laughs) You're always safe with the prayer of persistence. Always safe. The most biblical weight in the Bible is on prayer persistence. But I'm adding that idea in there. Sometimes you let go of your worst fear. Seventh hindrance, not understanding the significance of a point of contact. A point of contact is how you get God's power up there down here. It's like having a gun without a trigger. So many people want God to heal them, but they never initiate anything. You've got to pull a trigger to make it fire. Every single, you cannot name a healing in the Bible that Jesus did that didn't have a point of contact to it. Look at these. Laying on of hands, spitting in the eyes, <laughs> finger in the ear, a spoken decree, a dip in the river, a man's shadow, a handkerchief laid on someone. Points of contact, every one of them, right? Y'all notice this. A point of contact is something that releases faith. You remember the guy? He had looked at his skin hundreds of times it was think about that guy he had opened and closed his eyes hundreds of times and nothing had happened but when they made him go down into the water and he told him dip seven times and he dipped once and nothing happened he dipped twice he dipped three times and he started having an expectancy come up in his spirit four five six seven his faith was right bam he comes out of the water and he's totally healed man And that's what a point of contact does. It releases the faith. It's what pulls the trigger on the gun. Points of contacts take guts. They take guts. In Acts 3, verse 3 through 9, remember it says that he reached out and he pulled the guy up. Y'all, when they're a cripple, pulling them up is scary. They're already hurting. It says when the guy hit his feet, when he rose up, that's when he got healed. I mean, somewhere between being crippled on the ground and somewhere being yanked up was when the healing took place. Y'all, why do we not see healings today? Because we don't have guts today. Think of old Smith Wigglesworth. You hear those tales that he did in Britain? And he reached in there and he pulled the guy out of the casket. Before they embalmed him, they would lay him in the parlor. Now, I'm going to have to look for this in a book, but I've heard this story many times on the guy. Have y'all heard? Yeah. Yeah. Ever increasing faith. And so anyway, he pulled the guy out of the cat. He cleared the room. All the doubt and unbelief left. They were like, this guy has lost his mind. Mm -hmm. He took this dead man and he threw him against the wall. Well, I would love to tell you. And the guy stood up and what, But he didn't. He collapsed. (laughs) Yeah, he told him to walk and he kept throwing him against the wall. (laughs) And it finally took. But y'all, somewhere in between there, somebody thinks you're crazy. You know, I have never seen the raising of the dead. I have never thrown anyone against the wall. You know, it's just nice to read about it in Acts. Sometimes it's just nice to leave those verses in place. But honestly, you look at people like Paul and stuff, and when the guy fell out the window because he had preached too long all night long, you know, Paul was like, I don't want to lose someone out of Bible study, so he laid on him. You're putting your faith on the line. I'm not being facetious. I'm just saying we're demanding those kind of results. But y'all those kind of results take a lot of guts, stepping out on those kind of waters, so troubleshoot hindrances of healing by prayer and always remember guys, ask God how how, hallelujah